You know, this morning, uh, I, I'm reflecting on the fact that a week, this last week I had on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the chance to be at our, near our national offices in Columbus, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. They do a conference where the focus is on inter, international missions and what God's doing around the world. And uh, I had the privilege of being in the context of people who are serving in some of the hardest places around the world. And the theme that we kept hearing over and over again in places where where it is dangerous to represent the love of Christ in places where people have yet to hear the truth of the gospel, that our international workers stand back and they say, we believe that God changes things because he answers prayers. And they've seen God work and step up in mighty ways to meet needs that could have never been met if it wasn't through his miraculous provision. And so this morning, we need to be reminded of that fact, right? And we're praying together for the Lord to meet our needs as a church family, for those who come in weary and heavy laden. Um, I'll just share with you some of the things that I'm praying for. Here as a church family, we already mentioned that we have some ministry needs, like our greeting team. We also are praying for some needs that we have in our student ministries. And I want to invite you to join me in praying that uh, as a parent of teenagers, I'm praying that the Lord draws the right leadership to Hope Church for the future of our, our youth ministry. And I'm going to ask you to partner with me in praying for the Lord's will to be crystal clear in that process. I'm also going to invite you to join me. It sounds like a small thing, but um, we are constantly making things a mess at Hope Church. And one of the ways we do that is in our church offices. And uh, we need uh, um, someone who's willing to serve. Um, it's a paid position, but to serve to help clean our offices and join our facilities team. And one of the things that I long for is for us to use these buildings all the time. I, I love it when I drive by Hope Church and see um, our facilities being used. And so would you join me in praying for a very part-time position to be filled soon with somebody who likes to clean? Are there people who are like that? Uh, a few, uh, maybe, but would you join me in praying for that as well? But beyond that, we're praying that the Lord in this new year gives us opportunities to connect together in a way that glorifies him. This, today we're launching uh, the second group of discovery classes. And for those of you who don't know what those are, it's not uh, anything you know, overly special. It's a, it's a discipleship program that many of us are going on a journey together in. And I'd love for you to, to join me in praying that the Lord would raise up new leaders to help facilitate uh, those who are interested in joining as well. So uh, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you this morning that you're a God who answers prayers. And um, this, this morning, I, I just want to thank you that you care more about us getting these things right than what we do. And so we sit at your feet the needs of our church, the needs of our church family, um, the needs of our students, and we just ask God that you would do a mighty work, that you'd, uh, like we learned last week, that you've shown us favor, Lord, you have blessed us, and I completely agree with that simple truth. And I just pray that as we look to the future, that you would continue to spur individuals in our church family with a heart to serve, with a a vision to pour into the lives of others in a sacrificial way, that you'd open up opportunities for us to connect with one another, whether it's through discovery or through community. And I also pray for those who come today bearing a heavy burden. Lord, I thank you that you tell us we can come to you in our weariness and our heavy burdenedness, and you will give us rest. We thank you for this morning. We ask that you'd 
um, encourage us as we study your word together. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so when I, back in the 1900s when I was in college, uh, 1995 that is, um, I, uh, my, my, my friend, uh, actually roommate and, and I were, were bored uh, on a day kind of like this. The weather was a little snowy outside and icy and it was late night on a Saturday and um, we decided that we were going to go um, do donuts in a parking lot. Now if you don't know what that is, um, ask somebody beside you. It doesn't involve sprinkles or glaze, but it involves, in our case, the pickup truck and an icy parking lot. And the icy parking lot that we happened to choose was the parking lot that was at the church that I was gainfully employed at. All right? And so uh, we left from Cedarville, drove over to Fairborn, Ohio, where um, I happened to know, like unlike the Hope Church parking lot, that uh, this particular parking lot, they did a lousy job of keeping the snow and ice off of it. And so we're out there just having a blast, spinning our car around. And after we, we kind of had done our thing, we decided to leave and go to Taco Bell and pick up some food. And then on the way out, we noticed a police car. Um, it was about a mile away from the church parking lot. Um, and then after we ate, we came back again, did the same thing again, had a blast, and then went back to the school. And um, the next morning, when I went into the church building, I bumped into my boss, uh, one of my pastors, Mike, and his eyes were bloodshot. And he told the story of the fact that he was dead asleep. Um, his house happened to be adjacent to the church parking lot. And, and he said that he was dead asleep, and then he heard this sound. And then his window lit up because there were some, in his words, idiots in the church parking lot doing donuts, right? Uh, and he said he got so upset that he called the cops on them, uh, not just one time, but twice. Um, and I looked him in the eye and I said, that must have been terrible, Mike. No. Uh, I, I totally confessed then and there. And um, as he decided that he was going to forgive me for my shenanigans, um, I, I can just tell you years later that that friendship that I had with that man would prove to be one of the greatest friendships of my life. It overcame some boundaries and hurdles. Uh, the other man that was in the car with me, actually, both of those guys were men that are still friends in my life. One of them, a pastor on the West Coast now. And the other, I look forward to having, having a breakfast with him this week, my college roommate. And I look back on our friendship, and I can just remem remember the first time that I met these guys. And in both cases, we really didn't have a lot in common. In the case of the pastor, he was a, a track guy and band. He was in the marching band and short, short guy, red hair. He was just, for what, whatever, our friendship was one that, that was based primarily on our relationship with Christ, and it has spanned a lifetime. The other friendship was got my friend Ryan. He's six foot three. They had to get a special bed for him in our dorm room because he's so big and tall. And um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he could learn some things from, from my friend Ryan. I think he was a Viking at one time in his heritage, you know. And, and, and Ryan was a criminal justice major. And, and at the beginning, if you put it on paper, you would not have expected for us to be friends but because of our shared relationship with Christ, it could actually overcome some issues in the church parking lot, if you get what I mean. And, and this morning, what I want to talk with you about is the opportunity that we have to prioritize relationships. And I think that this day and age, if we're transparent with ourselves, 
If, we, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are in kind of a relationally anemic society. Um, it's been said uh, when we increase the use of technology that we kind of customize what we want around us. And at times what can happen, uh, according to Robert D. Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone, that it can lead to a collapse of American community. I think for many of us, we long to be known and to know and we long for deep connections with other individuals. And here, what we're going to study together as we pick up on our series that we've been going through, through the book of Philippians, we ended it at the end of last year, we're halfway through. Today, we're going to pick back up on it in this Laugh Again series. Um, today, we're going to talk about what the Apostle Paul modeled for us, and that was the ability to prioritize relationships, even relationships that were distant, that were uh, in another place, in a time and place. And we're going to see his value that he placed on communication. Then we're also going to see, as we study God's word today, that, that his primary relationship that we'll look at today with this man, Timothy, was one that was able to overcome all kinds of obstacles. They didn't share the kind of common ground that you would expect from someone to become a lifelong friend, but the Apostle Paul is going to articulate his friendship with Timothy in such intimate language that he's going to call him a son in the faith. And I just want to encourage you this morning as we study this together that it is more fun to do life with friends on the journey. That the God that we worship is a relational God and his desire for us is to experience the fullness of community together. And this sentence that I want us to unpack together this morning is kind of an if-then statement. When you prioritize relationships, you can experience the joy of relationship. When you prioritize relationships, you can experience the blessing and joy of relationships. I think the opposite of this statement is true as well. And that is if you neglect prioritizing relationships in your life, then it is very difficult for you to enjoy the blessings of deep personal relationships in your life. We're gonna see the Apostle Paul prioritize relationships today in the few verses that we're gonna look at together. Then I think it's gonna give us a model for how you and I can live in a time period that is unique and challenging. For some of you, you think about this Laugh Again series and you're skeptical about it because you look around and you say, wait, wait a second, Sean, we're, the world that's around us is broken. It's messed up. People are hurting. How can we focus in on laughter in the midst of very difficult circumstances these days? And I want to remind you when we study the book of Philippians together, that the man who penned these words, a book that's four chapters long, saturated with the jo word joy, rejoicing, celebrating, honoring, that he was literally chained to a Roman guard. He didn't know if he was going to be alive the next day because of the false accusations that he was under in his house arrest that he was in in Rome. And, and here he is, a guy who had no reason to feel joy except for the fact that he understood the God that could bless him with joy. You understand that? And so he found himself prioritizing joy in the process of being in a very difficult place. And I celebrate the fact that you and I can experience that too. But the challenge for us is to be people who choose to prioritize relationship. We're gonna see some of the boundaries that are natural 
that some allow to separate themselves from relationship or neglect them, then we're also going to see the way that the Apostle Paul cut through that. And I'll just share, I, I, I want to share with you one of the saddest stories of my pastoral ministry. When we lived in Southern California, I received a phone call from a local hotel. And, and it's an example of someone who does the opposite of this, not prioritizing relationship. They, they called me from the local hotel and they said that there was a man who had recently passed away who had lived there in that hotel for 20 years. And um, they felt like it was appropriate to do a service to remember him. And, um, but it would, we'd find out later on that he was a multimillionaire, had, was estranged from his family and all meaningful relationships in his life. And so I was preparing to do this funeral for this man and I received a phone call from a family member, and they said, hey, don't, don't worry about that funeral. No one would show up to his funeral. They canceled it because he, in his sad story, in a time of pain, had separated himself from all relationship. And for some of us in this room, we're disappointed about the depth of relationship. We, we feel like when life gets heavy, there's no one there to help us lift the load when when we have a prayer need or a physical, personal need, there's not someone there to lift us up. And we, we might even get grade our friends, uh, like Calvin graded his father. Some of you have seen the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes, you know, that he would say about his dad, room for improvement, right? We look at our friends and we say, there's room to grow. Well, I want to challenge you this morning that the Christian view of relationships requires us to be people to prioritize relationships in our life in order to experience the blessing of those relationships. And I'll just say this, in my own life, in, in every meaningful turn in my life, whether it's been a positive experience or a difficult experience, I have been blessed to have people to share that journey with me at each turn of each way. And I think that some of that has come from trying to put into practice some of the principles that we see modeled by the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Philippians, a book saturated with joy, chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Paul's going to talk about a man who is very meaningful to him. And I want you to know that as we study this together, that, and as we reread this full text together, that, that you're going to see the priority that Paul placed on relationships in his life. He says this in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In verse 20, some of our translations lose this. There's a term that's said here. Some of us have seen this term, kindred spirit. It's actually two Greek words combined together that, that means that our souls are woven together. That we're, I use the term burden-bearing fellowship, but it means that there was a fellowship together that Paul and Timothy had that was incredible. But I want you to catch this, that it wasn't because of the fact that they shared all kinds of things in common. Uh, in fact, what we know about Timothy is that he grew up in a home that was predominantly Greek. 
Uh, we know from his uh, being circumcised later in his life that he was probably not in a Jewish home in a traditional way. But we compare that with the Apostle Paul who um, was known as a Pharisee of Pharisees. That he, um, all of the dates, he hit perfectly. He had the formal education. He was a religious scholar. We guess that there would be between 50 to 20, 15 to 20 years difference in age between these two men. Uh, we'd recognize they grew up in different regions of the Middle East. There were, there were experiences that they had, different family dynamics, and, and there were barriers that were there that I'm guessing for some of us, um, it's helpful for us to note this. And that is, you, you guys have all heard, you know, there's no two snowflakes that look alike. I, I wonder how they know that for real, right? But uh, we, we've heard that before. I think for some of us, when it comes to meaningful personal relationship, that we're like that snowflake looking for a perfect match of someone who agrees with what we believe in and all of our values and life experience and looks at the, my two friends that I mentioned in my, my uh, doing donuts in the church parking lot, they would never pass that test. But in the test of life and reality over the last 25 years or so, what has proven to be is our differences have actually become some of our greatest strengths in relationship. And so Paul and Timothy were different different cultural backgrounds, even different racial backgrounds. And yet at the end of the day, they could be called kindred spirits sharing the same soul as some have described it. So it says this in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests. This is those who um, are different than what Timothy is. It says Timothy is a man who would be genuinely concerned for their welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not of Jesus Christ, but to know, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel, and I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I most myself will come to you. I want you to notice in these verses, when we look at kind of a bird's eye view of these verses, that Paul wanted to invest in his relationship with the church in Philippi. Even though he was in the valley of the shadow of death, he was still prioritizing sending his ambassador, communicating, corresponding, investing in his personal relationship with these people. And he also desired in his heart to visit them. I want you to catch that this man um, was a man who was able to survive some of the most difficult times that any person has ever experienced in history, partially because of the fact that he included people on his journey. Swindoll, Charles Swindoll says it like this, it's easy to forget that the late great apostle Paul needed friends too. Being ill on occasion, he needed Dr. Luke. Being limited in strength and unable to handle the rigors of extensive travel alone, he needed Barnabas and Silas. Being restricted in freedom, he needed other hands to carry his letters to the prescribed destinations. And on several occasions, he needed someone to actually write out his letters as he dictated them. Paul's friends were part of the reason he was able to move through life as well as he did. Paul, Paul valued relationships, and it was those relationships that it gave him the privilege of having a front row seat and seeing what God was doing, not just in his own life, but in the lives of others. So when he says, I look forward to hearing news of what God's doing in your life, he's including himself in their victories and also their struggles. I think that the reason Paul was able to do this, the first point this morning that flows out of the text, 
is that he saw the potential in Timothy. And just be honest with you, I want to be a person that sees the potential in other people. I don't want to be a person who looks at the checklist of things that I expect in my closest relationships and and not remove people from that list, but to be open to seeing what God has in those relationships. The obvious differences that Paul had with Timothy did not have to be a hindrance in his relationship with him. I think it's important for us to note that, that when we seek real meaningful relationship, we're saying that the goal is to prioritize those relationships, to invest in them, to consider them meaningful And sometimes they can cross age differences, educational differences, racial differences, geographical differences, skill differences, all these things that may hold us back from being able to experience what Paul later was going to describe Timothy in 2 Timothy 1-2 as his dear son. Timothy was with Paul through some of the most difficult aspects of his ministry, but also had the privilege of contributing to 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Philemon as an author um, as he helped Paul record those books. Uh, you know what's interesting to me about Timothy? This is really personal for me. Is that, that when we studied 1st Corinthians together as a church family, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that Timothy as a man was a man that other people looked at and some of them actually rejected him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we see the correspondence that led to 2 Corinthians when Paul said to them, hey, I'm sending my son Timothy to you. And the church in Corinth was like, yeah, we don't really want him. We want somebody else. We want something different. And I love the fact that the apostle Paul valued Timothy in such a way that history tells us that the church in Ephesus, where he became their pastor, would be um, blessed because of Timothy's ministry there. So Paul saw the potential in this young man. He invested in that relationship, and the fruit that comes from it is, is obvious in the Scripture. I think that our differences can contribute to the strength of our relationship. I, I think we kind of see this in marriages. Some of you know I um, used to serve as a marriage and family pastor, worked with lots of families, especially in crisis. And I've noticed that, have you guys noticed opposites attract sometimes? Yes? My wife and I are very different. Um, you, it's amazing how we're often attracted to things that are opposite in someone else. And then opposite, opposites also make us want to kill each other at some stage in our lives, right? We're, we're attracted to differences in our spouses or in relationships at the beginning. And then later on, those can become the source of great conflict What I love about the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with his spiritual son, Timothy, in their collaborative ministry partnership is that Paul didn't let those age differences and barriers and background and things hinder their relationship, but instead it allowed them to grow together in their capacity to minister for the sake of the gospel. And I'm excited about that in my own life. So some of the closest relationships in my life aren't people who think exactly like I do, don't have the same background or experiences that I've had, may have grown up in a different part of the country or world than what I have And yet in that difference, what I've found is great strength. So our differences can contribute to the strength of our relationship. I also think that this one one is really practical but helpful for me, this sub-point. And that is I think it's really difficult to truly understand the potential of a relationship until we've entered into it. And, and what I mean by that is that for, for some of us, we 
uh, if we could go back in time and remember the first time that we looked at someone who's become a, a deep friend in our life. Do you remember the first time? I can remember the first time I interacted with my roommate later, Ryan. We just happened to be sweet mates in the same dorm room. And uh, we had a way more differences than we had similarities. And I can remember um, being intimidated by, um, you know, like not imagining that we would become lifelong friends. And for some of you, the more meaningful relationships that you've had in your life, they began with a perspective on that relationship that it was very different than what it would end up being. The Apostle Paul saw the potential in Timothy and at the end of the day, it led to something very fruitful for him, but it required some level of risk. I'm not very good at golf. Um, some of you have golfed with me before, and um, uh, some of you, when you watch me play golf, you, you've coached me before. I've heard this multiple times where they say, if you're putting, you picture, we've all putt-putt golf, or we've all done real golf. Uh, that, that they'll say to me that if you putt short of the hole, there's zero chance that you have to actually make it in the hole, right? If you're short of the hole, then you don't give it a chance to actually fall in. And I think that principle can apply to our relationships as well. If we are guarded and protected, or if we don't risk being in relationship, we have no idea what potential can come from that kind of investment. And so I want to encourage you that um, you'll miss every opportunity that you don't try. You lose every relationship that you never pursue. You fail every test that you never take. You never know if you don't try. And I think that this is important generationally, culturally right now. The title of that book that I mentioned earlier, Bowling Alone, written in 2000, was a scientific study on uh, the breakdown in relationships in our society. And I think Christianity provides for us an opportunity for us to cut against what is a very difficult value in our society today. The second point this morning is you and I can share our victories and our struggles together. I love this in the text that we see this, um, Paul saying he's cheered by the news of, of the church in Philippi. He's chained to a, a Roman guard, doesn't know what the next day is going to look like for him, and yet their experiences, their positive experiences, led him to experience joy, even from a distance. Uh, I, I'm thankful for friends in my life that have served in that way, that, that in very difficult times, their joy, their blessing, their experience, their opportunities have allowed me to find joy and strength and encouragement, even if it doesn't overlap in my own life. I think that it's important to note, though, Paul here in this whole section, talking about his concern for them, pursuing them, seeking the interest of Christ in their lives, he's, he's modeling for us the value of communication. And I think communication is essential to building and maintaining any relationship. We can get better at it as well. I think it's also helpful for us to understand that you and I can find joy in the joy of others. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 describes it beautifully this way. It says this in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? When I first read that, I thought, well, you could use a blanket. That's another way to do it, right? But the point here is he's saying together, through, through a man might prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him. Um, 
a three-four cord is not quickly broken. I, I've experienced this in my life. I've experienced the times where people, that three-fold cord of us pursuing the Lord together, that we grow together in that process. You can kind of picture it like a triangle, that the, as, as two individuals are actively pursuing the Lord, that what ends up happening is that they themselves grow together. I've seen it being like miracle grow, uh, relational miracle grow for people who have gone on things like short-term trips or serving together in the local church context or opportunities to, to collaborate together for something significant. That In that journey of pursuing the Lord together, we can find ourselves tasting what the Apostle Paul says for those who seek the interest of the Lord Jesus Christ together, that it's inevitable if we do it appropriately that we become unified and bonded. Paul goes on to talk about, so we share in our victories, we also share in our failures, uh, we share in our struggles together as well. Uh, but back to the victories, I think it's cool to see in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's an overlap here that, that shows that, that Timothy desired to care for the needs of others more importantly than his own needs. And I think that, that it gives us this third point that's really clear, and that is when we pursue Jesus together, we inevitably grow together. As he says it in verse 22, he says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul here is, um, is encouraging Timothy to be a messenger, to communicate truth. And here what we see is his desire to maintain friendship together. Uh, for, for some of us in the room, we're, we're doing the church thing again, and maybe it's been a while since we've done the church thing. And I think for some of us, uh, even this whole discovery discipleship program, that it comes at a cost. It's risky. It's, it requires us to invest time and energy. And I'm, I'm guessing for some of us initially, when we commit to something like that, that we recognize the cost and we recognize that sometimes it feels more expensive than it's worth, especially at the beginning. Uh, you haven't built meaningful relationship. You don't know people well. It may not always work out in the way that you long for it to. That even in the Apostle Paul's ministry, there were churches where there were deep, meaningful relationships and there were others that were distant and not as intimate. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't invested in that relationship, then you don't know the potential that it could potentially be in your life. And I think about this like, a, can you imagine if I decided that I was going to open up a new bank account? And, um, and so I open it up, I give them my social security number and, and all of those things, but I have made no meaningful investment into that account um, and I decide that I'm going to go in the next week and make a million dollar withdrawal, they're going to laugh at me, right? Because I haven't made a meaningful investment in something. I am there just to withdraw. It doesn't work out that way. And I want to encourage you, Christ follower, as we wrestle with relationship and prioritizing relationship, that, that often they require us to begin with the mindset of Christ, to pour into relationship selfless, sacrificially, pursuing it, with the desire to care more about other people's needs than our own needs. When we do that, 
there is the possibility of fruit to grow together. When we pursue Jesus together, we can move to a point where we get to experience what the Apostle Paul is describing here as relationships going from being just companions to becoming family, even closer than family. So relationships, in order to function, require deliberate, intentional investment. When I tell that story of that funeral so many years ago that I was asked to do that never happened, I think it's a powerful example of someone who had chosen no longer to invest in what was precious. And at the end of their life, they found themselves isolated and alone. Uh, somebody shared this with me this last week. You've probably heard it before. Um, what is the, the first best time to plant a tree? Well, the first best time was 20 years ago, right? Um, the second best time to plant a tree, according to the Chinese proverb, is right now. And I just want to challenge you in this as we try to apply this truth in our lives today. Is that for some of us, if we feel like we're relationally disconnected or we don't have burden-bearing fellowship in our life, that, that there's a, a desire inside of each one of us to say that we're going to move closer to relationship, to pursue them. And I think that these three questions can be helpful for us. Um, to, to reflect back as we apply this truth, the first one is what was it that was a part of the most important relationships in your life? How did those begin? What was the, the cause of those? Or when you first met an individual that you have a meaningful relationship with, did you underestimate the potential of that relationship? I think that that's very valuable for us to ask that question. The second question for us to ask as we apply this truth into our lives is, to look at how the Apostle Paul prioritized relationship in his life that he chose to deliberately pursue. He communicated uh, with those who he was distant from, even geographically. He was intentional about it. He sought to find common ground. I came across this article many years ago. It was very helpful for me. Ways that are suggested to find common ground are when you're with people to pay attention to what they care about, especially their likes or dislikes. To remember things that are significant to them, like birthdays and anniversaries. To take interest and cultivate relationships with their children or their family members. To commit to being sensitive to their needs, their true needs or what their values are. To keep in touch intentionally by phone or um, speaking to them, not just through texting. To express what you like about your relationship with another person. I love, I love this suggestion. I've tried to practice this in my life. I had a couple of years ago, I was preaching here at Hope, and um, there was a friend in mind that I had that had really encouraged me and blessed me in my life, but I didn't name him by name. And so in the sermon, I just said, hey, I have a good friend that did this and um, it wasn't, but like a half an hour after the church service, I got a call from that friend who I hadn't named. And he said, hey man, I hear you were talking about me at church today. And uh, it was awesome because somebody who was here heard it, put it together that I was talking about him. And it's amazing how it got back to him. But I want you to notice when we're critical and negative about other people or disappointments that, that we have with them, that gets back to them. You know that, Right. But when we recognize the good and the value of people and we speak the good that we know of them, even in their absence, that it also gets back to them and it can be a form of miracle growth for the depth of our relationship. I think we want to be people who serve our friends through thoughtful and unexpected ways. 
I think those are very practical. And then the last one, uh, Teddy Roosevelt put it powerfully when he says, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. One of the things that we believe that the Lord is asking us to do as a church family is to care about the community that's around us, to, to care about um, Brunswick and Medina County and um, the, the community that's around us, Strongville and and, and many of you coming in from Hankley and different places, God's asked us to care about this community. And I think one of the ways that he's asked us to care about this community is to pay attention to and care about the things that they care about, to uh, care about them individually. Somebody after the first service came up to me, and they were vulnerable, and I really appreciated after this point. And they just said, you know, I just realized with my neighbor, I have the same conversation every time. I interact with them. I have never made this step to connect with them or to care about them. But their commitment is the challenge that I have for you this morning is to say, if we're going to care about our community, then we need to know who they are. We need to know their story. We need to invest in their lives. We need to pay attention to what they care about. And I think that, that this statement applies to our desire to communicate the truth of the gospel with somebody. Think about how intimate and personal the gospel is. To understand the gospel, you have the good news, right? That Christ died on the cross for our sins, but that necessitates the understanding of the bad news, and that is we're calling someone a sinful person. Uh, we're saying that they have areas in their life that fall short of the glory of God. That's offensive, right? And so when we talk about the gospel, in order for us to have that kind of communication, I think it requires them to understand that this is saturated with an understanding of love. And so we apply that truth in our life, right? To say, God forgave me because I am someone who needed to be forgiven. We only get that audience when we pursue somebody deliberately. Do you agree? So they do not really care what we know if they don't understand that we truly care about them. And I believe that that's essential for us. So when we talk about Paul modeling for us, I just have loved this, these small verses because they show us that Paul, even towards the end of his life, maybe this was one of the secrets of him making it to the finish line and finishing well in his, at the end of his life was that he was a man who chose to prioritize relationships in his life in such a way that when he was old, he still had people that he was pouring into. He still cared about the victories of others, even when he was proverbially on the bench, um, suffering and awaiting his own persecution and trial, that he still found great joy. And he could write a book like Philippians that allows us the freedom to laugh again because of the fact that he found great joy in the victories of others because God is faithful and good. Amen? And so, so this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me to think through potential relationships in your life that are a little anemic right now, that need an investment, people that you're surrounded by in school or at work or in your home, in your community, that maybe you've neglected just a little bit, that, that, that little phrase that the Apostle Paul said there, that Timothy was a man who cares for people, not that, like, like the, that he doesn't care for it with his own interest in mind, but for the very interest of Jesus Christ. I think that's what we're called to do is to care about people like Jesus cares about them and to show it to them. And when they experience that, if you've experienced the love of Christ, you know that it's pretty awesome, right? Well, let's pray together. Lord, we love you and I thank you and praise you for your word that is so practical.
in our day in and day out lives, that it, it seems to me to just speak right to the moment that we're in. And I just thank you that in a time of his own great struggle that Paul modeled for us what it means to be desperately dependent upon you and also to trust and invest in the things that you value that are precious to you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in relationship. I thank you for friendships. I pray that as a church family, we would grow in our wisdom and knowledge of you and our wisdom and knowledge of one another, our ability to connect. Would you deepen our relationships? Would you allow us to understand what it means to speak about brothers and sisters in Christ as uh, as family, not just people who we bump into on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half or whatever. So we love you. We thank you and praise you for this morning. I also ask, Lord, as you um, receive from us our worship in the form of music, as we sing this closing song, and as we give to you sacrificially our tithes and offerings, Lord, would we do so not grudgingly or out of necessity, but Lord, would we do so cheerfully because we know that you're glorified and honored when we are cheerful givers. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.